Boy, I have to just say, I know that God is probably speaking to some of you. It's maybe been two years or ten years or thirty years, forty or fifty, I don't know. But God wants to be as real as the person sitting next to you and wants that relationship with you. And he will be faithful and he will... He will be trustworthy and he will draw you and he may be drawing you right now by his Holy Spirit and all he's waiting for you to say is, I just want to trust you. I acknowledge I, I myself have blown it. I'm a sinner, but yet I'm going to throw my weight onto you and your goodness and your saving power. Now I know also on the same hand, what I really want to talk about is what Mike said here at the end. That question that came to him was, God, can, can you trust me? What does it mean to be in relationship if there's a trust also coming from the other end? And what does that look like? What does it look like to be trustworthy? And what I want to do is share with you four characteristics. But before I do, I want to share with you in Psalm 15, and I said it last week, is a passage from David where he asks a simple question, and he says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain? At this point, the temple isn't built, but there's the tabernacle. It's on. It's been brought to. It's on the Mount of Jerusalem, and it's there that God, the God of the whole entire universe, dwells. And, and he says, who can come into that presence of yours, God? Who can walk with you? And he says, the one whose walk is blameless. Here's what it looks like to be trustworthy. Who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Here's the line. It ends with, whoever does these things, they're going to be like a rock. They're just not shaken. And it's not that we can do these things in and of ourselves. David knew that. He knew that he needed God. He knew he needed to participate with God. But he knew that his participation with God was essential. He knew that he had a trust in God, and he knew that he had even trust the fact that he'd never be able to do all these things perfectly, but his desire and intent was to make decisions, to take responsibilities for his life, to grow into a trustworthy person. Let's pray. Father, it is my prayer that not only we individually, but there will be, there will be uh, parents and husbands and, and wives and Friends, there will be business leaders. There will be people who are going to go to work tomorrow. There's going to be a church that can actually stand in your presence because of your incredible infusing power and love as we respond to you and participate with you and know you in vital ways that cause people to see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, there's the, what I want to talk about is four characteristics, and it's kind of the A, B, C, Ds 
is what I'm going to talk about with regard to being trustworthy, being the kind of person who participates with God and becomes one of those kind of people who's not just crying out saying, God, I want to trust you, I want to trust you, but God, I want you to begin to entrust me because of what's being developed in my character. Because the reality is, as you become a more trustworthy person, God can put more into you and onto you in order for you to carry out for him. And the greatest task ever done, ever accomplished in this world was your salvation and my salvation by a man, God-man, named Jesus, because he was so trustworthy that he never sinned. And he could carry that kind of responsibility. But God might be calling you to a responsibility. It's not going to be, you're going to be, none of us will be without sin, but it will require such a measure of character that has to grow in your life. And it may be 10, 15 years from now. I may be talking to some of you who are younger. And God's saying, as these are formed in your life in some point to come, I'm going to place a responsibility on you. For some of you, it might be your coming of age has been something that you've been doing for quite some time, and God's been developing that character, and soon it's going to come. It's these words, the ABCDs, these four characteristics that you can take responsibility for in your life and build. Ability, Believability, connectability, which I made up as a word, and dependability. Ability, believability, connectability, and dependability. Ability, letter A, the A of, of, of building trust, is really, in many ways, the easiest one to build. We trust people who we know can do the job, right? They're able, they're reliable, in that sense, they're competent. Trust is never a carte blanche. You don't just give anyone a blank check of trust except for God. God's the only person you can give the blank trust and check of trust because he has the full ability to do what he says he can do. I mean, he has all power within his realm. That's why we said a few weeks ago, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when you read it, there's two places where it says put all on God. Give him the blank check. He, he says trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can't do that with anyone else. There's some measure of, of not being able to do that fully. And lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust always has a qualifier except with God. One of the qualifiers is ability. We trust people who have the ability and the competence to do what they're placed to do. So it was a number of years ago that I received my doctoral degree in a doctor of ministry. And at that time, my wife threw a party with a number of people that came over. And it was in a backyard area. And my kids were quite young at the time. And they heard my friends, some of my friends kidding around saying, Dr. Meyer, or, or things like, when you're, now that you're a doctor, you could, you know, and made some kind of joke, you know, after it. And my kids were hearing that. And one of them said to me, so, Dad, if we were, like, up in a plane and they ask, is there a doctor on flight? Does that mean you can say, can I say to him, yeah, my dad's a doctor? And jokingly, I said, yeah, you can say I'm a doctor of the heart and spirit. So we're on a flight. <laughs> no, just kidding. You can see where that would go. You see, if we had a medical emergency right here and someone really needed help, my doctorate isn't going to do much good. I'll pray, spiritually discern some things, but that is a, that's really above my trust grade level. Or you, want, you know, like we talk about pay grade. There's certain abilities of trust. See, we entrust people who are competent in a certain area. So you would really want a medical doctor, not a doctor of ministry. 
See, trust involves ability, and able people are competent people in the area they have been entrusted. And competency is something you can grow in. Most people have natural abilities, and you take those natural abilities, and you begin to develop those natural abilities, and as you develop those natural abilities, you grow in competence, so that as you grow in competence, you can take on more and more tasks. And anybody can really grow in some kind of competency. You may not be the best photographer, you can take a course in that. You may not be the best medic, but you can take a course in that. You can actually take and grow abilities and become more competent. This is the easiest characteristic of trust in the sense of something you can do about. Because all you need really to do is, is have some form of plan and get education and training and experience and skills and then you develop competency through experience and through those who mentor you. When you think about it, and I was writing this, I was thinking to myself, why do we sometimes get all up in arms and get all upset around the fact that that marriages struggle so and parenting is such a difficulty because when you really think about it, how much ability and competence do we have when you enter into marriage or you enter into parenting, right? I mean, now, if you have a very mature parent who has got, you know, great, they, maybe has great financial um, wisdom and they, they, they really do conflict management well and they're really good in communication skills and, and they show romantic commitment to one another and they, they have spiritual development, you've probably grown up in a place where you can learn some competency in those areas. But how many people actually enter into marriages or into parenting with those kind of skills? Why do we find difficulty in teams that we may be on, or at workplaces, or in churches? Ability builds trust because people see that you're capable. You know, if you had the opportunity, as we, we watch this here, you had a chance to fly in the plane with Mike Wiskus or Joel, who would you choose? <laughs> now, you sure don't want Joel flying that plane, right? He'll just scream like a baby. This is one of the easiest to develop, and so what I want you to think about, is there an area in your life? Maybe you want to be a better marriage partner. Maybe you're thinking about what it means to be the kind of parent you want to be. Maybe it's a skill or a play, something at work. Maybe it's something you want in, in relationship with other people. It, maybe it's just the ability to, um, to be more joyful. A few years back, this is one of the things that God began to kind of convict in my own heart, and, and, and some of the conviction also came from my wife, um, which is really good. And I really set out to say, you know what, I really want to do that. And so I've shared this over the years. I've really made studying joy more in the sense that I've, I've read about it. I've, I've been reading scripture. I memorize scripture. I journal, and I write that every day, and I write thanks. I do things that will hopefully create in me so that as I do this over time, I will become what I'm praying and preparing and planning to be, and that is full of joy. There's all kinds of things I'm learning about that. A few years ago, a few years back, um, the elders in one of my performance reviews said, you know, we'd really love for you to develop that listening skill. And uh, I thought, okay, I really want to do that because I, I just I want to learn and grow. And so I took a book, a couple different books I read, and I began to do some journaling around that. I memorized scripture. I memorized James, which is this great verse that talks about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And I began to I'd do things like this where I'd practice in conversation to say, um, you know, things like um, as I'm listening rather than trying to get what I'm going to say next. I, I kept thinking the question, tell me more, tell me more. So when there was an opportunity, I'd say, tell me more. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, that's not a big deal. But the reality is I grew up in a home of talkers. And when we would sit around a table, it was like if there was 10 people, there was like, you know, if you're playing ping pong, you know, there's balls going all over the place. And then I get married to my wife and I go to their home and, and, and at Christmas we're sitting around 10 people and it's the first time I experience something like this. And someone serves the ball and it goes here. And then so, and they hit the ball over here. I, I'm like, boring. No, you know, I, I, I'm learning this is polite and respectful. Now you may be wondering why I haven't grown a lot in this because it's time. Remember, time and skill. Anyway. And I say that to be vulnerable. I reckon, and you need to, I, one of the greatest things in learning to trust is self-awareness. So where is there some place where you need ability to grow in competency? You can do it. There's also what I call in the area of believability. And believability is an interesting thing. In Proverbs, there's all kinds of words on this. We, we saw it even in Psalms 15. You know, it, it's all about um, the words that come from your mouth and the truth. And Proverbs 10, 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. You'll see, they will be discovered that they're not believable. Or Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them. It actually creates a path for them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. That sense of unbelievable, you know, you can't trust. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Last week, um, Tim Addington shared, some, I think, some great things. And... Um, he, we have this out in back. They're wonderful things to go through and just to ask yourself because they really have to do around this idea of believability. There's, a, there's an author in a book called um, Trust Works by Ken Blanchard. He's a business guy. He, he says, you know, ask yourself the question, are you believable? Are you a believable person? And so most of us, you ask that question, our response is to think for a second and kind of go, yeah, I'm a believable person. Then he says, let me ask you some, let me give you some statements and then you just to those statements, say hardly ever or sometimes or often to them. So keep confidences. Hardly ever, sometimes often. Admit when you're wrong. Hardly ever, sometimes often. Honest in everything. Hardly ever, sometimes often. Avoid talking behind people's backs. Sincere. Non-judgmental. Shows respect for others. He just goes down his list and he says, you know what, if you're saying sometimes or hardly ever, here's a great place to grow in trust. See, believability involves two things. It's, it's what I call truthful sincerity and candid clarity. This is, if I was to break it down to a couple things, there's a lot of others you could talk about, but it's what I call truthful sincerity and candid clarity. It's, it's that classic saying, you mean what you say and you say what you mean. You mean what you say, you're truthful and sincere, there's a congruency between your heart and what's going on inside and your words, because hypocrisy kills. I've been doing some reading, and one of the things that I've been reading on was Martin Luther um, King Jr., and, and if you read about his life, he was one of these kind of persons. When it came to the message of peaceful resistance, people really believed him. It would be really interesting, I was thinking about it, could you imagine this person who's preaching about this and, 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 and he gets up and he's sharing about peaceful passive resistance and as he's talking about it, you see on his, on his a clip on his belt is a, a Smith & Wesson gun. Now you kind of go, well, wait a second. What's so interesting about Luther King is when you, when you look at his life, he endured 30 arrests, numerous physical assaults, countless threats against his family, for this, for this reason, he had a determination to see men and women as being equal. And his commitment was so obvious, he was so 
truthfully and so sincerely truthful that everyone around him, men and women, would follow him. They would follow him into confrontations where he would lead and go into an angry mob that would hit at them. Or they would go into situations where there would be trained police dogs. Or they would, fo- they would follow him, a whole group of people, because of, it was from his heart. This is a message that he truly believed in. As he walked it out, they would shoot these fire-hard um, hoses of water towards them that would just knock them on their, off their feet. Currently, I'm reading another book Bill, by, by Bill O'Reilly. Some of you may be reading Killing Patton. He, he's somewhat similar to, instead of peaceful resistance, he was a warrior. But on the other side, there was one thing that was similar about him. People believed him. When he said something, they knew that he was sincerely truthful about it. And he, he, would, he would actually get in his little, his, his little jeep and the guy would drive him around. And he'd have his gun up in the air and his, his other soldiers would see him. And they knew he meant that he, that he was with them. He would actually go up to the front lines and encourage them. He would at times park his car and get behind a truck that had been stuck in the snow with his shoulder. Here's the four-star general with his shoulder to the, to the truck with others. And he would be pushing it out. And they would do anything for him. Because he meant what he said. But do you say also what you mean, which is candid clarity? It involves both truthfully being sincere and then a candid clarity. There's an interesting study that was done by a group called Forum Corporation. Hundreds of salespeople from 11 companies in five different industries were investigated. They wanted to find out, the aim was to find the difference between those who are top performers and just average performers. And they found the results to be fascinating because the difference wasn't charisma, it wasn't even ability, it wasn't their knowledge. It was one thing. Top producers were honest. Across the board. In fact, the the report summary says this. Honest communicators build trust. See, believability requires candid clarity. You think about it in just simple things like this. Supervisors who set clear expectations always get better results and even more trust from those they lead. Specific clear instructions not only build better systems and products, but they also build stronger and more trustworthy relationships. People who aren't afraid to tell you the truth in non-judgmental ways, you know they don't have a hidden agenda. You know what that's like? The people, they'll actually they have the ability to tell you the truth. You can hear them and you trust them. But here's the difficulty. So I want you to think about this area. You know, because you can ask yourself, am I sincerely truthful? And you can ask yourself as a dad, when I tell my kids that I really believe in God, do they, are they really going to get behind that train and follow it? When you actually say as a person to your family, you might have families, that's first and most important in our family. You guys, are, do they really believe it? But now candid clarity is this idea. Because a lot of us will share the truth, but we'll mix it a little bit because we're afraid that people just can't handle the truth, Right? You can't handle the truth idea. Here's the difficulty. Many of us don't fully say what we mean. We aren't quite candidly clear as we should be because because we want to be liked. Anybody kind of know what that feels like? There's always a temptation to water down what we say by telling ourselves that the person that we're telling this to is too sensitive. You know what the reality is? We're too sensitive. We're the ones who are sensitive to how they might react to us. Candid clarity builds trust and makes you believable. It implies giving news when appropriate 
bad news when appropriate. It, it, it implies this, that you know, a lot of us will share maybe 70%, some of you get good at 90%, but do you share the last 10%? And I'm not saying in a mean way, but out of love. In spite of the pain it may cause you or someone else. Not only believability, it's connectability. In his book, The Trust Edge, David Horsager quotes Don, he quotes him, one of the guys from our church, Ron Holtzprint, CEO of Above Line Leaders. And Ron says, as I was reading this summer, I thought, oh, cool, Ron Holtzprint, yeah. He says, trust starts when we show up and engage. And why is that? Because when we show up and engage, we, we now connect to people, and trust is all about relationships. So if ability is one that's easy you can begin to develop, and believability means you just got to become, you, you have to kind of grow up a little bit and, 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 and really begin to be honest. What happens in connectability is what they say is the deepest thing. It's the one that is kind of, kind of is, is, is once you have those two, it begins to cement it all in place. The late Maya Angelou, both author and poet, said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Connectability is that that sense where a person can connect to you and your heart. As you've heard, maybe that age-old prophet, people, proverb, there are people who uh, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Connectability. Connectable people are other-minded. It's what you do when you meet someone, you begin to get to know them. Every one of us makes this assessment, and this assessment is usually, is this person more about their agenda or mine? Is this company more concerned about making a profit, or are they genuinely concerned about me? Is my coworker more interested in his personal bonus or the team's performance? Whether a parent, a spouse, a friend, a leader, or a teammate, one of the biggest reasons for trust is the perception that you're concerned beyond yourself. You are other-minded. You care about the good of the whole. So think about it this way. Who do you trust more? A firefighter or a mortgage broker? A nurse or a car salesman? The guy at the information desk or the guy at the counter selling timeshares, right? It's usually because they are what? Those other ones are concerned about you. It's what Jesus says when he says about being other-minded. It's the kind of connectability that happens. And here's where it takes real character. It's the kind of connectability that happens not with people just who are your friends, but people who are even your enemies. God says this. One of the ways that we're to build trust is even building trust with those who oppose us. To such a degree that he says the golden rule in Luke chapter 6, 27 through 31. He gives him what I call other-minded instruction. He says, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And his, his underlying kind of last statement is, do to others as you would have them do to you. Connectability is always a difficulty in any kind of group setting. It's just going to happen. Paul had that kind of thing happen. Even in one of the best churches, one of them, the best was Philippians, where he had some great things going on there. At one point, he says to them as a community, I, I just don't want you to do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but I want you in humility to consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that this is the same of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, obedient to death, even death on the cross, because connectability is not only other-mindedness, it's also self-sacrifice. 
They did a study as well with regard to professions. They found there's two professions that were ranked really high when it came to this whole idea of trust around connectability. And they found, what would you think would be two professions that kind of stand out? Teachers is one. Doctors were the other. Doctors. Anyway, um, teachers and doctors. But then when they found in this study, they found that one eclipsed them all, went way beyond everybody else. What do you think it was? Moms. Moms. They they included that as as a profession. Because because everyone knows that when you watch one of those sports events and and you get a kid on there, he doesn't go, hi, Dad. Right? And sorry, but he just doesn't. He goes, hi, Mom. Because moms are just so connected to you. They give and they give and they sacrifice. And we know what that feels like. We know what that kind of connectability feels like. And he says that kind of connectability builds trust. Now I know everyone here has maybe not had those kind of experiences where you have that kind of mom, where you have this kind of sense where she is there when you need her kind of thing. But many of you do. And that's what seems to be one of the highest. If people were to say anything, they go, man, I can trust mom. But not only about connectability, the, the last one is D, dependability. Which was really about how reliable you are. And, and I talk about dependability in just a couple ways. Dependability is the one, if you have those other three, this is the one that, that basically anchors everything. Because if you're not consistent, if you don't have that kind of character, that, 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 that sense of, of of being there and doing the same thing over and over again, you can't trust. And dependability is what you do, you do what is right over what is easy. That's what we call character. You do what is right over what is easy. And they show up in simple ways. Simple ways like when you go to a shopping mall and you go to Costco's and you, you take your cart and you bring your cart to your car and you unload it. Do you just leave it to the side or do you actually walk it? How many walk it back to that? I mean, that just seems like a little thing, doesn't it? It's little things that, that, that build this muscle of, of dependability because you can actually discipline, you can do things that can create a habit of dependability. It's like taking the wrapper that when you're driving the car and you kind of go, oh, I don't want to throw it. You want to just maybe open the window, throw it out here, but you know that's not right. Instead of doing the easy thing, you do the right thing and so then you have a bunch of wrappers in your car, right? I'm just talking about little things. See, what people think is, is dependability is on the big things. If I do the big things, then, then the little things take care of themselves. It's just the opposite. The little things really are the things that undergird the big things. I, I think of, 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 you can think back to the Challenger um, thing with Christy McAuliffe and her family. They would have wished that Morton Thiokol with the O-ring manufacturer who knew that it was, not, it was suspect. Don't, don't you wish they'd have done the little thing? Don't you wish they would have just said it was at risk? Don't you wish they would have rather than, than, than say, we'll go on schedule, we'll take the heat of criticism? Don't you wish they'd have recommended a delay? They'd have done the little things because the little thing ended up being a big thing. Dependability means you do the little things, not just the big things. That's where consistency comes. Many people mistake that, that if you focus on the big things, the seemingly important things, everybody else, you know, it'll just take care of itself. Jim Garlow, who is in, writes in leadership, he says, if you don't like who you have become, it is because of thousands of small, seemingly insignificant decisions that you have made each day over the course of the years. If you like what you have become and you are becoming, it is because you've made several thousand seemingly small, moment-by-moment decisions in a very wise manner. And he concludes this way, he says, you are the sum of your life decisions. In a sense, he's saying we are the result of our collective 
actions and decisions. So if we want to look at it, and if, if I was to say I'm overweight, it wouldn't be because I had a big dinner last night. It would be because over, over a period of time I've been taking in more calories than I should. If you want to look at someone and say they're a good husband, it's not because, and this would be really nice, wouldn't it? Because you brought flowers that week, right? That would, I wish that was the way it was. It's because you have made choices selflessly to love and to be present and be true to your word and to show up in, in ways that are self-giving and, and, and self-sacrificing in a way that that person feels valued. It's the same way when it comes to a manager. You're, just not, a, you're not a good manager at work just because you gave out a bonus last year. They even find in studies like that 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 lasts for a little bit of time. But what really lasts is you're the kind of manager that has a clear vision and you build a team and, and you encourage them and you come around them and you develop them and you help them lead towards a goal. And the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, then is the bonus. So I just want you to think for a second when it comes to dependability. Are you doing the little things? Where are the little things in your life where you're just not showing up? So all I was thinking as I was preparing this and I was saying, God, how do you want to close this? I felt like the Lord said, I just want people to pause and be silent, be still. Kind of what Mike was saying, and just reflect. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. As the team comes forward, I just want you to bow your head. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to take a moment to surface anything or to recall anything that's been said. Because I think he might be asking you, can I trust you? If you know it's about growing in your spiritual maturity, maybe understanding God's word more. There's classes here. If it's in marriage, there's counseling. There's things you can do with your ability to become competent. If it's in believability, some of that is just is, is so pushing into God and saying, God, I'm just going gonna to step out and participate and do what I know matches my heart in this situation, and I'm going to show up with that. It's connectability. God might be saying, okay, where are those agendas? What, are you, what is it you're really after? And if it's dependability, maybe he's saying it's time to quit taking the easy way out here. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would just bring to the surface those things that you're asking us to participate with you in where your Holy Spirit is already at work and that we would step into those things. In a sense, the Spirit of God, I believe, is saying to some, it's your move. I've been waiting. It's your move. Father, we thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.